You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Welcome to a new episode of Delirious Nomads, brought to you by Blacklight Media Records, a weekly podcast hosted by yours truly, celebrity chef Chris Santos. I hate calling myself that. I'm underground metal connoisseur Matt Bacon, who loves being called that. This is your new favorite podcast for all things heavy metal, as well as breakdowns of your favorite combat sports and riffing on some food talk every week with very special guests from across the globe. Jose, thank you very much for being on the show. This is called Delirious Nomads. It's a podcast that we focus mostly on on metal, but also a little bit of food and and a little bit of uh, combat sports. But with today, it's going to be all about you, your journey, um, and uh, kind of how you're feeling about 2020 and how you're feeling about, more importantly, how you're feeling about 2021 and 2022. So welcome to the show. This is my partner, Matt Bacon, um, who, uh, will, who is... Uh, basically pushed me into doing this. I didn't think I'd have the time or want to do it, but now I'm actually really loving them. So welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Dude, uh, you know how I feel about you, Chris, uh, and our friendship over the years. And uh, right before this started, uh, my wife just came into the screen and she wanted to send her love to you, uh, Chris, as uh, the whole family uh, you know, misses you. And uh, we're happy that you're on the West Coast and we're happy that you're doing this cool ass podcast with my brother, Matt. Uh, and I'm just honored to be a part of it, man. Thanks, Thank Santos. You. Cannot wait to get the restaurants open again, so we can so we can see you guys again. You know what, dude? What's crazy, dude? Like we we've been talking about for months uh, since this whole shit started. Bringing our daughters, we have teenage daughters, Chris, uh, 17 and 14 year olds, and uh, they've never you know been to one of your spots. And we keep bragging about Beauty Nessex because it's our favorite restaurant. And we we keep telling the girls, girls, we're gonna take you, we're gonna take you. Don't worry, we're gonna take you. So. It's something that, that I know that they look forward to visiting soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I think we're, we got a, a long, hard winter ahead of us. But then after that, I think things are going to break, come along nicely. So we'll Or see. how about a reference to Cinderella, long, cold winter? Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, dude, Cinderella rules, man. I love Cinderella and all that good shit. I know you do. I mean, we've actually talked about this before. So let's start at the beginning, man. Like... You are a legend, obviously, in the metal scene. You you are like the metal ambassador uh, for the entire scene. Um, obviously, you know anyone listening to this knows who you are. You don't need an introduction, but you weren't always who you are. So, how did you get started with Sirius and <laughs> like just start from the beginning, man? Yeah, do Chris. Well, I've been into metal music since I was in kindergarten, and it's been. Uh, an obsession ever since something that my parents early on thought that it was just going to be a phase. Right. But you know, I wasn't these dudes that came in during high school or even junior high and got into this. No dude. Kindergarten is when I started worshiping at the altar of Motley Crue because of their album shout at the devil. So I became 
uh, an instant disciple back in the day. My cousins, my older cousins, they were like six years older, long hair, Mexican dudes with freaking black shirts and smoked and drank and rode motorcycles and freaking denim jeans and shit. I was like, oh, I want to be like them. You know, they had uh, chick posters in their, in their shed in the back, you know, uh, pot leaf posters. And I was like, this is cool. I just identified with it very early on. Uh, but yeah, dude, I'm, I'm from a tiny town uh, in Arizona on the border of Mexico called Douglas. And it's a very a big drug community, a lot of drug trafficking and uh, right on the border, man. My, my house was nine blocks from the fence. Uh, but I grew up a metalhead, dude, uh, my whole entire life and surrounded by um, uh, friends that you know, loved it as well. I played guitar uh, starting in the fifth grade, bass then, and I was just in band since the fifth grade. So that's all I've done. But I decided to get out of my um, school and to do well in school was the best way to, to, to sort of win, you know, high, the high school years. And I, and I studied really hard, man. Uh, I got a, a full ride academic scholarship to the University of Arizona for chemistry. And that's where I started college radio. And so while getting a chemistry degree, I started uh, as a fun hobby, uh, college radio. And it was just, I became University of Arizona's first metal director and DJ there uh, on the small college radio station. But that was just for fun, just to be a messenger of metal. It was never about money or a career. It was just what I love to do. And then after uh, four years there, I went to graduate school in Tennessee to be a pharmacist. So now... <laughs> It's the fucking next level, Chris. And now I'm moving to Tennessee. Uh, I left four years of college radio, went to Tennessee because Memphis had a really awesome heavy metal hard rock station uh, called WMFS, 92.9. And I did my research while, while looking up graduate schools. I wanted to go to a place that had a good rock station. Ended up getting a job in Memphis uh, in 1998, uh, part-time DJ work. I started a metal show there. In 1999, I won Metal Director of the Year for Best DJ uh, Program, Director for, for Metal Music in a trade magazine. And that's when I started getting job offers to work in the industry. But still, I was like, I'm going to pharmacy school. Like, this is crazy. I have three years left and I can be a doctor. Uh, but then TVT Records flew me out to New York City. Uh, they uh, you know, they were really cool to me and they were said, Hey, come be our metal dude, promote our music, you know, talk to people like yourself. And I was like, Oh shit. So in January of 2000, I moved to Jersey city. And, um, about seven months later, I got a job at Sirius satellite radio when the alternative director contacted me and asked me uh, when I was at TVT, he wanted a bunch of, uh, back catalog, uh, albums, uh, like about 50 or so. And I was like, dude, what is this for? And he was like, Sirius Satellite Radio. And I was like, I have no idea what that is. Just send me some information. I'm going to have to get approval for this fucking huge order you have. And then when he sent me the brochure and the pamphlet, I was on the path train from New York City back to Jersey City. And that's when it just hit me. I was reading all the information about satellite radio, uh, the investment, uh, the technology. Then I, I, I freaked out and I asked the guy who asked me for all this music, um, hey, who's the, who's the heavy metal guy? Who's the rock guy? And I reached out to that dude and I basically told him, you know, in a long ass email how I live, breathe and shit this music. And so he invited me. I invited him to a concert. He met me there. Then he invited me to the studios. 
And then, because I'm such a nerd, I memorized the brochure and the people that were in charge of programming. And I was in the lobby of, Chris, you've been there before many times in, in New York City. They were just building that headquarters there. I was, it was the summer of 2000. I saw the head of programming walking down the hallway. I stood right up to her and I said, hey, what's up, Maria? Nice to meet you. I'm Jose Mangan. And she was like, how do you know my name? And and who are you? And I said, I memorized the brochure. I'm here to see Don K. And she started cracking up. And then she asked me, are you a Latino? You know, do you know, do you know Spanish? And I started, boom, you know, talking in Spanish. And she asked me about Spanish rock bands. I had a whole fucking list of bands that I knew about. I grew up with in my head. She was like, you're perfect. And then a few weeks later, they hired me to build the rock department at Sirius Satellite Radio over 20 fucking years ago. Bam. So that's how we kind of ended up here. What concert did you take the dude to? Good one. Uh, I invited him to go see Nashville Pussy at the Irving Plaza. Oh, awesome. Because they had just yeah. signed a TVT Records and um, they were playing a show. And I was just looking for any excuse to get him to come out publicly because he thought I was weird. You know what I mean? Like, Because I come off kind of you know, a little heavy, maybe on an email. Like, and this guy doesn't even know who I am. You know, people might, a lot of people say, oh, you're, you're too much, dude. You're not really like that. And it's like, no, yes, this is the way, yeah, yeah this is the way I am. Uh, <laughs> but I think in the beginning, uh, Don was kind of freaked out. And then when he met me at the Nashville Pussy Show, and after, a, a, you know, some conversation, he was like, all right, you're not a psycho. <laughs> so I think he said those words to me. That wasn't the show that the fire marshal came in and stopped and made everyone go outside for half an hour, was it? Dude, man, was that in? Was that around June, July, August? I don't know. I, I remember I saw I saw National Pussy in in the middle of their set. The fire marshal came in, made everyone go outside, took a head count, and then like half an hour later, we all were allowed back in and we started the concert. Man, man, that might have been Bowie Ball. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't think it was that show. But then again, dude, you know I do smoke a lot of weed, man. So. <laughs> So how did you guys end up connecting? How did you initially meet? Festivals, right? Well, I, re I mean, the first time that I, I mean, I knew who you were. I knew of you and I heard about you and I knew you were uh, in the same metal circle and you were a big supporter of the heavy music scene and, uh, you know, with, um, you know, chef abilities. And so I, I knew who you were. And then it was really cool because uh, working with Jägermeister for a bunch of years, that is uh, what brought us together. And I remember the first time we were kind of hanging out. Yeah, I believe was at a, a festival. And I think it was the one in North Carolina, but it could have been a different one where we met before. And then we ended up doing some actual official work together. I think that's what it might have been. Because uh, we, I mean, there's festivals that happen all year long. And I believe I probably met Chris somewhere backstage. And then it wasn't until I believe Carolina Rebellion in North Carolina, where we got a chance to work because Chris was doing stuff at the Jaeger booth and I was hosting the Jaegermeister stage um, at that yeah, festival. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And so we were hanging out and then that's how I remember just being like, oh, this dude's super freaking cool. But it was Jaegermeister that brought us together officially. Jaegermeister never disappoints. I'm still working with them. They've pivoted a little bit from the metal scene, but uh, but they're doing really cool stuff. I'm still doing really great stuff with them. I love them so much, man. They, they were very, very cool to me, you know, to believe in uh, some metal dude. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, and like you, you did bring up, they were a big, you know, big metal supporters. I hosted the Jaegermeister music tour with Slayer, Megadeth, and Anthrax. Uh, when Jim Florentine was hosting it, he was the main host. Uh, he needed about two weeks off. And so I went in and I traveled with the, with the bands and uh, did that on the Jägermeister tour bus. Dude, the first time I was on that uh, show, that tour, 
I drank with Kerry King so much Jaeger and I mixed it with tequila. Dude, I was throwing up everywhere. It was awful. And it was my first night on the Jaegermeister bus. <laughs> oh, dude, you don't mix it with tequila. Come on now. I know. I learned better. I learned, but it was, but it was, dude, I was too Kerry King. I was trying to like hang and not be a puss. So I was like, yeah, dude, sure. But I knew I shouldn't be doing it. But I was like, dude, this is a fucking, you know, what am I going to say? No. So, oh, that's crazy. That's yeah, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Um, <laughs> so getting back to uh, Sirius for a minute. So when so when Sirius launched, they, they only they didn't have Octane and Liquid Metal and Hair Nation. What did they start with? Well, we get, we our metal station is uh, one of the original channels and is one of the longest channels that has not. It, we changed our name when we merged with XM in two thousand eight, but we were called Heart Attack, and Heart Attack is an original uh, metal station. There, Octane didn't come till about two years after we launched. Uh, we had uh, Hair Nation wasn't uh, around either. There was a channel called Big Rock, and it was a combination of like Hair Nation and Octane and Ozzy's Boneyard, and it was like weird, and it was just like and then and then we separated then we took off the new music aspect of it and then we had a new kids channel which was hostless uh no no djs and then we had the separation and then hair nation and, and that, that kind of classic rock stuff was uh, in one channel and then we separated it even more into uh like buzzsaw uh back in the serious days and then octane uh, came about and uh, yeah, I was the program director of that channel. And, uh, dude, it's just crazy to see how both those stations have uh, become these monsters uh, out there, you know, really helping out bands and stuff like that. So, yeah, but but it just started off as, you know, again, back in those times, man, people didn't know what we were and people didn't really give us respect over the time of day either. They were like, yeah, um, we're, we're too busy with bands interviews today that are going to AOL and MySpace and all these other places, you know? Yeah. We might send, you know, no offense. We might send the bass player over to you uh, if we have time, you know what I'm saying? Like they didn't care about Sirius. They were like, what is this? This is no, yeah, you know, whatever pass. Uh, but we really had to fight and, and try to get, you know, people to come over. And a lot of labels like Metal Blade Records, for example, were super, super supportive since the very, very, very beginning. But other labels weren't. Um, and it wasn't until Howard Stern came over to us in 2004 is when he announced it. And then he joined, uh, started officially January of 2006. That's when shit uh, really changed uh, for my life personally and for the company's life. That's when it was just like game over. It was, it was a different, different level at that point. So you mentioned having to compete with websites early on, right? Uh, to kind of get whoever. What do you view as the role of kind of very niche radio that you're doing in a world increasingly dominated by like streaming and stuff? What's kind of the 10 year plan? Dude, well, for, for us, Matt, you know, there's a soul beneath the machine. Uh, shout out to Fear Factory. But, you know, streaming is a, play, is, is a playlist. Uh, streaming, you, 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 a new song, some, someone comes out with a new song, it becomes added, gets added to a playlist, and there it is. And, and people, you know, discover stuff that, that way. But for us, man, we really try to make it this fluid, um, living and breathing station that you can tell that there's love behind it, that there's uh, connections that are only made if you really know your shit. So... The way we approach it is, is differently. We, there's five decades of heavy metal. You know, we cover all five decades in one hour. So, 
it's cool to have that mix. You know, it's, you're, you're busy. You're getting your car. You don't want to sit there and what am I going to listen to and think about something else? Oh, let me hear this. Let me pull up this. Let me do work to do this. It's easy just to get in your car and turn it on and not do anything and just be like, wow, Slayer, Angel of Death, great. Oh, that made me feel good. And then get introduced to a new track from Candiria or something badass where you're like, oh, that's cool. I, I didn't know that. And then you hit them over the head with some Slipknot and they're like, oh, whoa. Oh, I like that. And then the next song is something brand new from Spirit Box. And you're like, oh, who's this band? That voice sounds awesome. So then there's like a really cool way to, to, to play metal and to get people excited about new music. Yeah. Because I can sit there and play hours and hours and hours of new music, but no one would fucking care. No one would listen to it. No one would, it would be just a, it would be on a paper and it would look good on paper for somebody, but that's not what we're doing. And we're not doing this for paper. We're doing this for, for, you know, love of the music. There's a lifestyle. Heavy metal isn't just a, a, a playlist and a program director saying what things are supposed to be done. It's life, man. You know what I'm saying? It's like the force, you know, Star Wars, Mandalorian style. It's, it's like, there's this special fucking bond between us. And I love being able to, use the, the, the platform of SiriusXM to make our music better, to get people excited about it, man. You know what I'm saying? If you encounter a good salesperson and they sell you something that you know yeah. you need, uh, or maybe you didn't know you needed it, but they were such a great salesman and you were like, you know what, fuck yeah, I do. But it's just the same thing, dude. Um, I want to get on the radio and I don't want to sell you music. I just want to infect you with a passion for it. So I'm not trying to sell nothing. Absolutely. You know, I'm just trying to get you excited. You know, remember back when Slayer made you fucking excited when you were a kid? It's just, you can get the same feeling right now. You know what I'm saying? What about this new track from Lamb of God's new album in, that came out in June? That shit gets you excited. So especially during this crazy ass time, I feel like our station has been um, some sort of normal thing that fans can go to and, and be like, Oh, absolutely at least he's still there he, at least they're still fucking doing this at least they're you know we're really trying uh, even harder now to make sure that you're entertained while listening man so it's a non-stop labor of labor of love so um but i think that no ab yeah absolutely i don't know if i answered your question or not but fuck no it, no it does and it's because it's funny because the other thing i wanted to ask you is like because I, I remember listening to you because i'm 24 and i remember listening to you in i think 2008 2009 and discovering a lot of things for the first time because of like your radio programming and then that leading to like, you know, working with Chris. Now that you've been doing this for 20 years, do you kind of see yourself as having like this weird, like where do you see your role as kind of influential in the history of metal? Cause like you've been influential for me and I feel like you're influential for a lot of other people who are like foundationally influential for a lot of people at this point. You know what, Matt, dude and Chris, I don't, I try not to think of it on such a huge like macro level, uh, I always, the first thing I think of is being a fan. First and foremost, being a fan. Being just a, a diehard fan, an honest fan of the music. And I think that really is all, all my, my goal is, you know? I do hear the fact that, oh, you influenced me on this and that, but I got influenced by dudes like Ricky Rackman and you know, magazines and, and stuff like that. So we all have people that have uh, been shepherds of metal for us in our lives. Like for me, it was my cousin mm -hmm. when I was a little kid. And I feel like, yes, uh, I am a shepherd of metal for a lot of folks getting into it, a gateway drug for people to make this their lifestyle. 
And I just see that as a secondary to being first a passionate, loving, positive fan of the music. The point I start, you know, degrading stuff and being a negative dude and all that, that's not me. That's not my personality. And that doesn't, that doesn't sound good on the radio or doesn't look good on social media either when you're just yeah. a negative guy. So we have enough of that. So for me, uh, you know, I, I, I found my little role in life is to be this metal ambassador, uh, a loving, spewing fucking dude uh, of, of metal energy. Yeah. And so that, that's my, my role uh, as an influencer comes after being a fan. I love it. You know, it's funny. I've become friends. I'm friends with all of you at this point. I'm friends with you. I'm friends with, with uh, Shannon Guns, with Katie, with Tommy London, with Luke Carl. I'm friends with all you guys. I keep waiting. Like, when, like, when am I going to get my shot for this show? Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. You, all those names you mentioned, uh, most of them I trained and hired which is kind of crazy. So yeah, right? it makes me seem fucking like uh, the grand poobah old dude here. God, I, I knew Luke when he was slinging tacos on the Lower East Side. Oh, yeah. Well, you knew Luke before I met him, man. So when I met him, I was so impressed. Uh, I was intimidated and nervous to meet Luke Carl and uh, because of, you know, who he was at the time. It was, it was a little, little kind of crazy. And uh, he ended up just being a sweetheart teddy bear. And um, I just saw him like, man, this dude's going to be good on the radio. You know what I mean? He, he wasn't, he didn't come in as a radio host. He came in as just a, a, an entertaining, compelling human. And back in the day, dude, uh, we had a, a consultant that would come into Sirius and, and, you know, do things and he'd get paid a lot of money to, to tell us certain things. But a lot of things did stick. And I remember one time he was saying to us, um, you know, it's not the, 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 the host that comes in with a resume of all these call letters. I've been at WW5, fucking W3K, fucking whatever, all these call letters that, you know, like, that's not it. Can you, can you be a compelling person just naturally and organically? Like, it's not about, you know, I can be a DJ if I hold my breath and put much, you know what I mean? It's not about that. It's about being real, natural. And my friend said, this consultant, he became my friend, he, you come into a bar and you'd see somebody talking or he would just walk in and in two minutes, he's talking to the bartender. Five minutes later, somebody else is talking to him. 15 minutes later, he's four people around him. You know, 40 minutes later, he's got the whole bar and he's entertaining everybody, talking, being funny, being quick, being that is the guy that you want to host a radio show. Not the fucking dude that's got all this fucking call letter history and resume of all these FM radio stations. No, 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 no. The fucking guy who can talk for real. That's the guy. That's talent. And so that's the way we would look at things. And, and that was a pretty cool thing to, to, uh, to DFM some of these hosts over the years was tougher than to just hone some skills in from somebody that was naturally good. So... It, yeah, so it, it's cool. It's cool to see all the growth and how far and how long we've been here. And yeah, it's fun, man. It's awesome. So out of the studio and onto the road, talk about that transition. You know, when the world was normal, you were basically out on every festival, every weekend. Like how did that, you know, obviously that was a springboard, I would imagine, from Sirius. But you now are truly immersed with all the Danny Wimmer um, festivals and everything. Like how'd that all happen? And and tell me, you know, how obviously 2020 fucked everything up. Just kind of speak on all that. It was just volunteering, dude. It was just being there. 
you know, it, it wasn't like one of these things at all these festivals. I went there anyways. We, we covered them. We were, all, we were doing live broadcasts at a lot of these. And then it was just a, a natural transition to just to get up on stage and, and to welcome people. And I think it's always cool to have a cheerleader, someone that's stating the obvious, someone that's stating, look around you. Look how cool this is right now. Look how great this weekend is with all these amazing bands. Feel good about it. You know, as opposed to not having somebody do that. I always think it's kind of cool to have someone that's like you hype up things and, you know, point out the obvious. So, yeah, Danny and, and Gary and everybody were just so, so cool to me over the years. And, yeah, it wasn't even a thing about money, Chris. I was like, hey, why don't you guys hire me and I'll do this. So I was like, hey, dudes, I'm here. Um, I'm here anyways doing this other thing. How about I just help out here, too? They were like, oh, uh, well, okay. You know, so then eventually – it led to being hired to host Rock on the Range or Chicago Open Air or Fort Rock in Florida. And then, you know, eventually it led to Danny and I discussing doing a really cool festival that I'm going to curate and that I'm going to be a part of and bringing tacos, tequila and heavy metal and Latino lifestyle and, you know, mixing in with the Native Americans. Yeah, dude, it's my taco metal party, dude. I mean, it's um, it's a big thing that we wanted to do in Arizona. We were supposed to start it in 2020 and we were doing stuff in 2019 for it and uh, doing like um, site visits and it was getting serious. I mean, it was very serious. And then, and then uh, they signed up with Metallica to do, to do the five dates this year, uh, which didn't happen, but that, you know, put the festival on another hold and then the pandemic happened. And then now, you know, I don't, I probably won't even be till 2022 till something like that happens. But I really think that, you know, heavy metal and Latinos go hand in hand and there's not a lot of people talking to Latinos and we're, we're, we're big and we're large in numbers. You know what I'm saying? We spend money and we love heavy music, man. Native Americans, same thing. No one's talking to them, you know, but I want to, I want to do something where we get the largest gathering of Native Americans ever at a freaking concert. You know what I'm saying? I want to break records, dude, because we can, we just got to invite them. I just want tacos and Mexican food and shit. Where are my spicy margaritas? Where's the good tequila stands and stuff like that? I want to make something different, curate something kind of cool. And Danny had the same vision. So that's something that we, we, we want to look forward to. And you know, 2020, yeah, not being able to travel and do all, all those festivals. I mean, it hurt, it hurt financially because, you know, I worked with Zippo for a lot of years, hosting these cool video clips and series called Dudes Talking Shit in a Truck. And I did, I set these up. I would get the, the, the guests, interview them. And then my friend, uh, friends, Strati and Wombat would edit and Zippo would have this really cool content that's like, that was fun. And uh, so that kind of hurt the family uh, financially. But what helped is, and, and I think it's even more important, uh, was spending the time with my family, uh, with my, my teenage daughters, being forced to be around them. I love it. They didn't. But it was cool. It was forced uh, forced time with them, and I thought I think it really brought us closer together. And and I love that. I love that we had, you know. It, and I see Chris and Matt. I try to look at things in a, with a glass half full um, mentality, and I, I look at this this year as as that as a really cool time to uh, reconnect. And it's sometimes it didn't work for certain families. You know what I'm saying? But I'm sure you love the time being forced to spend with your lovely new bride, uh, Chris, and uh, your fiance and stuff. You guys are waiting. You guys haven't got married yet. No, we were supposed to get married in October, but we pulled the plug because of COVID. So, but but you guys are together. Oh yeah, I said I call her my wife because we would have been married by now if it wasn't for COVID. There you so. go, dude. So, so yeah, we've been spending like I mean it's amazing. We're we're, we're I mean we're we're so strong as a couple anyway. But being forced to be together every single day, like we're better than ever. It's really you know I think that's going to make or break some things. Exactly. Um, we're definitely 
we're good. And we just bought a new house, so it's allowed us to really kind of enjoy the house. Congratulations. Same thing with us. Uh, Melissa and I, uh, we just, we bought a house in, in July during, during this crazy ass time. So, I mean, that has been just, yeah. And uh, I love her and it's such a, it's been a really cool thing. So festivals not going hurt, but again, uh, I try to look at it the positive and one more positive out- outlook on this is that I think that it really showed us how much that metal shows and festivals are important to us. They're uh, really integral to our life and our livelihood. And when this stuff comes back, no one's going to take it for granted anymore. I think it's going to be yeah. really well uh, appreciated and loved. And there's going to be so much more uh, passion and emotions in the air. And that's what it was supposed to be about. Do you know what I'm saying? When people go to festivals and concerts and they don't enjoy themselves, you know, why? Why go? Why go? So when we, when we go next, this next time, it's going to be on another level. And I compare it to like stopping smoking weed for a few weeks and then you come back and you get higher than ever. <laughs> Um, does your new house have a, have a, have a jam session room? No, man. No, I still have uh, the setup in Seal Beach with Affliction. So uh, we have the studio there. No, man, I'm in the garage right now. This is where I do my, my 12 hours on Sirius XM weekdays. This is where I do it, mostly from my garage. The washer and dryer is right over here. The garage door opens and closes. And, uh, yeah, so I'm here. But eventually I want to uh, make a cool loft. Uh, we have a, one section that we can add uh, area to the square footage to the house, and that's my next project. Nice. So you're in, you're in the best shape I've ever seen you in. I've known you for a long time, and you've you're, you're yeah, exactly right. Look at that. But you also smoke more weed than anybody I know. <laughs> so I'm trying to figure out how you do both. Well, dude, I've I've, I've man, you know, Chris, I, I've been high for every major anything in my life ever uh, since 13. I've been a big fan um, of cannabis, and uh, yeah, man, I don't know. I do, it's it, it, for some. For certain people, it does. It affects uh, others differently, man. For me, I just it's it's a part of my life. Uh, I think it's just a part of who I am now, and I've uh, learned to just be able to do everything while being high. And uh, yeah, I love it, man. I I, I mean. Working out is, is a thing that we, I've been doing for uh, a few years, but really it's been, um, I would say, after when the pandemic came, started in March, and uh, there was a stop. We were, I was going to the gym pretty hard, but then it was the, the reset in uh, the last five months, I would say, that I've been really just going, just dedicating it, dude, just uh, religious working out weights and fucking weights and form. And I follow a dude on Instagram, and he's like my Yoda. And whatever he does, I do the same shit, man. So it's really paying off. I, if I ate more, uh, I would probably, I'd be a lot bigger, but I'm just you know, doing a lot of protein, uh, pre-workout stuff, and just really uh, focusing on a muscle group every day. I just sincerely admire you. I'm on a, I turned 50 in March and I've got this whole, I'm on this journey and I got, I got goals that we don't need to talk about on this podcast, but, um, but I've, 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 I've hired help. I've got a health coach, you know, I've, I've got a personal trainer. I, I work out with Freddie Roach in the boxing gym, but, um, yeah, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> I just can't imagine, I can't imagine wanting to lift a weight. I, I don't even like to lift weights, not high. I can't imagine wanting to lift weights while high. Again, dude, it's amazing. You're, you're- I've trained myself, Chris, dude. I've trained myself to do everything. Because once it becomes something that inhibits what you do in life, then it's not good for you, right? I mean, what if I were to smoke fucking weed and then co- go on the radio and then be like, oh, go, 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 and then just be really bad or do interviews and really fuck up, then it would be bad. It would be, a, then why are you smoking before you're doing this thing? You know what I'm saying? So for me, 
it just was training, training, training. Uh, so everything just being high on everything, and then it didn't matter anymore. <laughs> it's amazing. I, my hat is off. My hat is off to you. Thanks, man. Whatever you're doing, it's working. And you brought up a good point, dude. It is. It, it wasn't just me, dude. It was my friends uh, Eddie from uh, from King and my friend Edwin and McCor. Those guys right there. If it wasn't for them, really making this uh, a habit for me, you know, I needed that support. You know, on days when I didn't want to work out, didn't have time, I had to work, and it was just like, dude, I, I can't do it today. And they'd be waiting there, like in my studio, like, let's just go next door, dude. Come on, quit being a puss. And I'd be like. Oh, fuck. All right, dude, I'll go, you know, but after a lot of that stuff, it just became habit. And now it's like, um, if I don't go, it, it messes with my brain. Right, right. Yeah. Cool. Well, and we don't want it to keep you too long, Jose. What I wanted to get into, I want to circle back to the metal festival, because this is something I've always found really interesting. When you're setting up or when you're curating a metal festival, right? What elements are you looking for? Because it can't just be like all your favorite bands sometimes, because sometimes that doesn't flow right. So like, how do you curate a metal festival so that it makes sense as an event? For my particular thing where I do have a theme, you know, I will include Latino bands. I will include Native American bands. That's just a, a, a given. Then for me, as I'm looking at doing this and I had a whole festival lineup and I had a wish list and then we had more reality lists and stuff. But um, I look at it, dude, from a program director standpoint, uh, what, you know, what does well in Octane? What does well in Liquid Metal? You know, first of all, you want to know who's going to go to your festival, you know, know your target audience. And as soon as you know who that person is going to your festival then it's easier to kind of uh create uh the 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 set the, the bands that are playing so for me it was easy though i have two channels uh that are amazing and we play new music and also champion um, you know, older music, and it was kind of easy for me to, to put these bands together and knowing what does well from being around the business for a while, you know, but not really knowing too much about the, the inside outs of the money aspect of it. I'm more, again, still on the fan side of things, even on the business side, I'm still a fan of things. And I don't know those type of things, like how much bands make and for festivals and all that stuff. When I found out, I was like, oh, I want this band to play. And then it's going to be like, well, it's going to cost this much. I was like, oh, shit. No way! No, but, but for me, they won't do it. They won't. Nah, come on, it won't be that expensive if I ask them. No, yes, it will, dude. So it was it was fun to kind of realize those type of things and realize your limitations, um, and you know, and, and so that. But it, it, I look at it just for me. I'm trying to hit liquid metal and octane. Uh, that's that's who I want to come. You know, those are the people that I talk to every day. So why wouldn't I want them to talk? To, I want to program for them. So the same thing I would do for a festival is I would program to that that audience uh, for us because I know them and they know us. So, um, but yeah, man, but it, it is it is kind of fun. You know, I'm putting my wish list together and hoping that bands would do reunions and things like that. So, uh, you know, hoping to have a couple of favors happen when that when that time comes. But uh, so far, we're still a long ways from that. So you think 2022 for festivals in the U.S.? Oh, no. Oh, no. For mine, I want to do one. Uh, so I said mine will hopefully be in 2022. But no, if 2021 is definitely going to have some uh, festivals. I know that I'm hosting one in Orlando in September, uh, Rebel Rock Fest. Uh, it's three days out there, and there's a fourth, um, the, the Thursday night. It's my taco metal party. Uh, that already sold out. It's fucking December of 2020. And we're talking about something in 2021, September, and my taco metal party already sold out. So uh, I'm excited about that. I know Danny's going to have a bunch of great festivals. Will they start in May like normal? Uh, I don't know. Um, you know, I hope um, if it started in June, July, that's still fucking cool too, man. Uh, so 
But yeah. I, I think, no, I think uh, festivals are going to be definitely coming back in 2021. I mean, I have no inside information on that. I'm just, as a fan, hoping and praying that that happens for us. And for the bands and yeah, for the industry, man. These are friends of ours, Chris, and they're suffering. And, you know, all of these businesses and different types of uh, support systems are, are being decimated by what's happening right now, man. Bands are struggling. Imagine having a band and this is all you, you've done for 15 years, say. And then all of a sudden now you can't do what you do. You know, what does that do to this? What does that do to the family, the bills? You know, there's a lot of stuff, man. So I always try not to- Not just the band, but the, but the roadies, the crew, like everything. No, everything, dude, I know. And I mean, these global streaming events that happen with, with bands, I think that's a great way for these uh, artists to make money. Merchandise as well, of course. I'm always trying to direct fans over to the web stores of these artists and please buy something from them. That really does help, you know? So, and I don't even ask my friends for, um, you know, like Fever 333, I bought fucking shirt. I just bought a hoodie, Deftones. I just got the shorts and shit. You know what I mean? I just ordered a Metallica hoodie for my little nephew. Uh, and I got a Christmas present for my friend. So this is the stuff that we need, that we, if we can, uh, do that kind of stuff to help support these artists. Yep. Preach, man. That's a great message to, I think, probably end this. I think we've got enough of your, of your day. You need to go back and hang out with your beautiful family and your beautiful wife. Thank you so much for being a part of this, man. It's really, really cool. It was great, great to hear your side of the story because I've known you for so long, but never knew kind of how you got to where you, who you are. So I really, thanks for sharing that with us. It's really cool. Well, Chris, of course, man, and an out outro message, you know, if it wasn't for my education, you know, I would never be in this situation. And that sounds you know, not normal for you know, someone in metal to say that. But again, if it wasn't for me pursuing a higher education, I would never, ever be here talking to you, uh, be here in, in Costa Mesa, um, you know, with Vinnie Paul's hat behind me. You know, uh, I would never be in this position, man, if it wasn't for really, really working my ass off and using my brain and then trying to do something, then following my heart and passion. But again, you know, you just got to wear your passion on your sleeve and just fucking do it, man. And envision shit, manifest stuff to happen. You can really do it if you visualize great stuff happening and take little small steps every single day. You can do that, man. If you think of bad shit every single day and do steps towards that, that's what's gonna happen. So I always just try to you know, remind people, seriously, man, like you, you, can, you can do a lot with visualization and, 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 and manifesting stuff, all right, man? Sharon Osborne gave me that advice and I love Sharon, so I wanted to share that with you. I feel like I should hire you as a, as a secondary health coach, motivation coach. <laughs> well, maybe, dude, we'll, we'll start with smoking some good weed, you know? <laughs> well, that's the other thing too. Uh, it's a good thing you, you, you know, your life went the way it did because I don't think you could smoke weed on the job as a pharmacist. I don't think they let they allow that. Well, I probably could. I, I probably could, man. I beg to differ, you know, but it'd be medicine, man. It'd be medicine for me somehow. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, you got anything else for this madman? No, thank you so much, Jose, for everything, for coming on the show and just for everything you do for metal. It's, it's appreciated. Oh, dude, I love metal with all my heart. Thank you so much, brother. Appreciate you. All right, so that was awesome. Thank you, everyone out there, for listening to Delirious Nomads, sponsored by Blacklight Media. We will be coming back at you next week with another awesome guest. Be sure to follow Blacklight Media on socials for new music and more. And above all, keep it heavy. Bowie, Dylan, Marley. 
You've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs, but what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind. Uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little little taste of it, right down to the shaky microphone and all. <laughs> and my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick. And usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work. But we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics, um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love, want to love, or hate. Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that, that uh, has impacted your life. Uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week. So triangulate your speakers. Think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot, and listen to Axe Grind podcast. <laughs>